0: Loving others as Christ loves us should be our primary motivation in everything that we do. And if we possess these qualities and practice them, then the peace of God will result no matter what else is happening in our lives. As I begin this morning, I just want to say how excited I am about the future of our church. In um, just over a month from now, Pastor Kevin will be officially installed as our new pastor. And when Dave and I heard that he was the man, we were just like really, really excited, really excited. Um, But even though I say he won't be officially installed until March, he's already been working hard, thinking and and planning and praying. And of course, we know that prayer is the foundation of everything that takes place. You last heard him speak three weeks ago on the Sunday that we voted for him and that was his usual dynamic sermon. But in the last two weeks, you've been privileged to hear from two other great Uh, preachers, first Pastor Chris and then last week Pastor JJ, really all three of them are a tough act to follow and and whenever I hear them speak I'm really impressed, not just with the content and delivery of their messages but with their character because I know that they live out what they preach, they apply it to their daily lives and they live it out Um, and that's exciting. And as you know, the church staff also includes a number of um, lay people who I respect just as much as I do the pastors on staff. Dave and I feel really privileged to be a part of the staff here at this church and and the congregation. Um, I'm gonna age myself a little bit, but um, it's hard to believe This church is special to us because it was the first church that we attended and were members of as a newly married couple almost 40 years ago. In May, it'll be 40 years. Um, So, yes, that ages me, and that means that I'm old enough that I could be Pastor Chris's and Pastor JJ's mother, and I'm not quite old enough to be Pastor Kevin's mom. Uh, (laughs) But this church is is very special to us. We often call the congregation uh, or the local body of believers, we refer to it as a church family. And really that is a a perfect description in my mind. Coming to church each week has always been a very important part of my life and I know it is for you or you wouldn't be here uh, today. You wouldn't be listening if church wasn't a part of your life. And we love each other, we care about each other, we cry together, we we laugh together. Um, And yes, sometimes we have misunderstandings and let's be honest, sometimes we get on each other's nerves just like in our nuclear families. And there's no shame in that um, because that's a normal part of life. We don't all think alike. Nor should we. I mean, how boring would it be if we were all alike? So the, the shame is not in having different opinions or misunderstandings. The shame is when we allow those differences of opinion or misunderstandings to become a wedge that affects the entire church in negative ways. And they don't have to become that if we handle them in a Christ-like manner. So because we're on the brink of some super exciting things happening in our church, we want to make sure that each one of us does our part to make sure that we stay on track. So the scripture that I'm preaching from today is um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. And I believe that it can can help us in this area and, and really has some good reminders in it. The Apostle Paul was writing to believers in a local congregation called Colossae, but I don't think it's a stretch to envision that as I'm reading this, that Paul is writing this to us here at Grace Point. Colossians chapter three, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly, teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. So in the verses prior to this uh, in the chapter, Paul had gone ahead and he listed some things, I'll call them vices, that the Colossians should not do. He wrote, put to death sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed. And he said, set aside anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Now, obviously, though, that is not an exhausted list of the things that we should not do. Um, those are just a few of those things. And then in the verses that I just read, Paul went on to describe in positive terms what it meant to take on the character of Christ. I always prefer, as a preacher, to preach about the positive things that we should do rather than all the things that, that we shouldn't do. But we can see from it that it's not enough to put to death or set aside sinful habits. Yes, it begins with that. But we also need to put on the good things. To not do so would be like taking off one's dirty, sweaty clothing, taking a shower, but neglecting to put clean ones on. Yeah, a few laughs of that, yeah. In verse 12, Paul began by referring to the Colossians as God's choice. I just wanna point out that the use of the word choice does not mean that some are chosen and some are not chosen. Uh, Some people interpret it that way. But each and every one of us is chosen to be a part of God's family. It's just not that everyone chooses to accept that invitation. So the fact that God desires for all of us to be a part of his family makes all of us extremely special. And I don't want to gloss over the importance of that because I've known far too many people who believe that they're the one exception to that rule. People have said to me, you know, God can't love me because of all the things that I've done. Um, and if you knew what they were, you'd agree with, with me. Or they have such a low opinion of themselves that they can't imagine that anyone would love them. Or perhaps they came from an abusive family where they were, were not shown any love. And so they can't imagine that anyone, including God, would love them. But I can't emphasize enough that God loves each and every one of you thoroughly and completely, and that's why he wants to have a relationship with you. Pastor Chris mentioned this verse, I believe, in his sermons uh, two weeks ago, Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't have to clean ourselves up first for God to love us. So the highest privilege that any one of us can have is to be a part of his family. And if you happen to be here this morning and you're not a part of God's family, you can accept that invitation today. If you're here or if you're online, any of the pastors, any of the staff, or any of the lay people would be happy to speak to you and pray with you. But when we're members of God's family, then we need to, and should desire, to live up to the family name. Because when we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but we don't do things that are a part of his character, or we do things that are in opposition to his character, then we bring discredit to the family name. So on one hand, we know that we can't earn our salvation It's a free gift. But on the other hand, we know we need to work out our salvation. And those two things can appear to be in conflict. But James, in his book, addressed this when he wrote in in chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? And then in verse 17, he wrote, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. And then in verse 26, as the lifeless body is dead, so faith without actions is dead. I'd encourage you to read all of James chapter two at some point soon. But what he's saying is that it doesn't do any good to say that we're a Christian, that we're a member of God's family if we don't behave like it. So when Paul wrote in these verses here to put on or clothe yourselves with these Christ-like qualities, it indicated that they're not just going to magically appear in our lives because we've turned our lives over to God. It requires us to be intentional about putting them into practice. And if it requires intentionality and effort, then it implies that they're they're not going to necessarily come easy. Some may come easier than others based on our personalities, but it still requires effort. What is so important about these qualities? William Barclay wrote in his commentary, It is most significant to note that every one of the graces listed has to do with personal relationships between humans. There is no mention of virtues like efficiency or cleverness, not even of diligence or industry, but the great basic Christian virtues are those which govern human relationships. Christianity is community. It has on its divine side the amazing gift of peace with God, and on its human side, the triumphant solution of the problem of living together. I like that, the problem of living together. And that's true in our own families and and in a church family. To be alive means to be in relationship with others. And these relationships are such an important part of our lives that no matter what other situations we face, we can, better, we can have a better life overall if we get along well with others. And we will get along better with others if we put these things into practice. One of the things, the first things that Paul mentioned was compassion or mercy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse three, Paul described God as the father of compassion. And we know that when Jesus was on earth, everything he did was out of his compassion for people in need. So if we're to be like Jesus, we need to deal with one another with compassion and mercy. And that is much more than just feeling sorry for someone who may be going through a difficult time. Our compassion should motivate us to go out of our way to help alleviate the suffering of of others. And our compassion may even help us to be more understanding of others who don't behave in the way that we would like them to behave because we really don't know people's backgrounds, what, what may cause them to behave the way they behave sometimes. And then there's kindness. Kindness has been described as gracious sensitivity toward others triggered by genuine care. People can tell whether we um, are just going through the motions of doing good deeds or whether we truly care. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, Paul gave the instruction to be kind to one another. First Corinthians 13, describes kindness as being one of the characteristics of love and uh, kindness is also a fruit of the spirit that's listed in Galatians chapter five. So we can see how important kindness is. I grew up under the care of the kindest human being that I've ever known and likely ever will know. That's my mom and if you know her, knew her, you would agree with that. So when I see people treating or speaking unkindly to others, I can't tell you what it does to me. It just, it really upsets me. Everyone deserves to be treated with kindness. Now I can, I can tell you honestly that even though I grew up in a kind household, I've had some pretty unkind things said to me over the years. Um, and honestly, it's usually, it has been primarily in the church. But as people who follow Jesus Christ, as a daughter of God, I don't have the luxury of treating other people unkindly, even if they treat have treated me that way. And believe me, it's not easy. But... It is required of us. We really don't have an out. As you can see, kindness is a, really an important thing to me. Humility, Philippians chapter two, verse three, instructs us to regard others as better than ourselves. Well, we can't do that if we're not humble. And Jesus, of course, is the perfect example of humility. In Philippians two, verse eight, it says that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You can't get any more humble than that. I read a quote by Andrew Murray about humility that is worth repeating. Murray stated, humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. In light of that description, are any of us truly humble? I I know when I read that, it it really gave me something to think about. Meekness or, or gentleness. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus described himself as gentle. And then when instructing the Corinthians, Paul appealed to them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Gentleness has been described as the balance between too much and too little anger. Someone who is self-controlled because they're God-controlled. So it doesn't mean that we can never be angry. We know that Jesus got angry. But we need to have our anger directed at the right things. And gentleness is the opposite of someone who attempts to control others by by intimidating them or, be, or dominating others. And then last but not least, there's patience. How is this for a definition? The ability not to become frustrated and enraged, but to make allowances for others' shortcomings and to tolerate their exasperating behavior. I like that. Patience is probably something that Many of us have difficulty exercising. I know that I do. Um, But I really like that definition because it's honest. Uh, It doesn't deny the fact that people will often do things that we find annoying and that can irritate us. But let's be honest that even though I hope not intentionally, our behavior often Maybe, hopefully not often, but sometimes will irritate or exasperate others. But again, other people's behavior doesn't have to become an excuse for our equally poor behavior. Patience reveals the length that we will go to to live faithfully within the give and take of life in our own families or in our church family. So as we practice all of these virtues, we begin to take on the character of Christ. And a natural outflow of that is that we will forgive one another when necessary, as verse 13 instructs us to do. Paul is calling on the Colossians and us to express the same unmerited concern for others that God demonstrated to all of us through Christ. Forgiving others is often hard because they don't always deserve it. But let's be honest, none of us deserve it. We've all received more forgiveness than we could ever pay back, than we all deserve. If you want to hear an excellent sermon on forgiveness, you can go back to, I think it was sometime in August that Pastor Kevin preached an outstanding sermon on forgiveness. Um, But forgiveness is hard, especially when the people that we're forgiving may not really be sorry for what they've done. At times we need to forgive ourselves. I don't know about about you, but when I realize that I've messed up I feel ashamed, I'm embarrassed. And it can be difficult to forgive ourselves, but we need to extend the same level of forgiveness to ourselves as we do to others. And then, of course, we can ask God to help us not to do that same thing in the future. So all of these qualities that we've talked about are all very intricately tied together. It isn't really possible to separate one from another to say, oh, I'm kind, but I'm not compassionate. It doesn't work that way. Even though they're they're brief descriptions, I think we can all see that we would get along much better if we put these into practice in our lives. But it's also important to realize that they will not be perfected on this side of heaven. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep trying and keep working at them. Because when we do, we will see improvement. And of course, the underlying quality of all of these is love, and love ties them all together and brings unity, kind of like a ribbon on a package. Loving others as Christ loves us should be our primary motivation in everything that we do. And if we possess these qualities and practice them, then the peace of God will result no matter what else is happening in our lives. I'm sure you agree, relationships are like the most important thing in my life. And if I have peace in my relationships, then it helps me handle all the other things. Our God is a God of peace. God's kingdom is peace and as members of God's family we should pursue peaceful relationships with others paul reminded us that the word of god needs to be such a part of our lives that whether we're actively teaching or in those times that we need to talk some uh, we have a little misunderstanding with someone and we need to talk to them about it that The words that come out of our mouths, our attitudes, all should be because of God in our lives. And then all of our behavior can be viewed as the response of our gratitude to the grace of God in our lives. And that becomes an act of worship. Sometimes we think of of worship as only being what we, we do here on a Sunday morning, but our lives can be an act of worship. Well, as we know from this past year, we have no idea what lies ahead of us. As individuals, as families, as a church family, as a nation, we we just have no idea. But no matter what happens, we can resolve to be intentional about living up to our calling as members of God's family. And we can choose to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Verse 17 sums it all up. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As God's children, as God's family, may love be the the guiding force of all of our words and actions, individually and corporately, as a church family.